0: Genesis chapter 1 in your Bible today, the subject is the Christian view of man, part one, which means, Lord willing, there'll be a part two next week if it doesn't snow on the azaleas again. And um, the Christian view of man, this is such an important series. I call it reality and making sense of a crazy world. Because it, I think we would all agree, it's kind of a crazy world out there today, isn't it? And so this is a series on biblical worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is the lens, the glasses through which we look at life, not literal glasses, of course, but figuratively, the way we look at life and the way we interpret life. And we're learning to do it biblically to look at all of life, not just being here at church, but economics and government and education and work and family in every part of our life to learn to think about it and look at it like God's Word teaches us to do. And so in your Bible today, Genesis 1, would you stand with me please as we read the Word of God beginning in verse number 26 of the first chapter And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And he said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then go to chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And then in verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then would you turn with me over to the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms. Psalm 8 in your Bible, please. One of the most eloquent and one of the most beautiful and powerful passages, I think, in all the Scripture and particularly out of the or regarding the subject that we're looking at today, Psalm 8 and verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? Now, you probably want to underscore that in your Bible. What a powerful question. What is man that thou art mindful of him, that you care anything about him? With all the stars and suns and moons and universes spinning around, what is the significance of man? What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands and thou hast put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beast of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thank you, and you may be seated. So a worldview is the lens through which we look at life and through which we interpret life. An English author by the name of Henry Blaymeyers back in the 1960s wrote a book called The Christian Mind. Now that's been, what, 50, 60 years ago. And Henry Blaymeyers was really an intellectual. He was a professor. He was a brilliant, brilliant mind. Blaymeyers said... Quote, there is no longer a Christian mind in Britain. We have surrendered to secularism. There is no longer a Christian mind. We have surrendered to secularism. Well, if that was true 50 or 60 years ago, how much more true would we say that it is today? And yet Christians are to have a Christian mind, a biblical, a biblically guided mind. For example, in the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, the apostle Paul writes to that church and he says this, let this mind, this manner of thinking, this worldview, if you will, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 and 5. Now in the previous two messages in this series, I've tried to use the idea of a puzzle as an illustration to help you understand what I'm doing. And we know that you take a puzzle and you put all the pieces out on the table and you turn them all over and you look for the ones with the straight edge on them first and and then you put them out on the table and that frames the picture that you're trying to build. And I have the frame for my puzzle. I have the pieces now that frame my puzzle to put the picture of worldview together. The pieces in my puzzle are God, man, sin, the cross, or Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and the restoration. So I've framed it with these seven words. Now, last week, we dealt with God and talked about him as our creator. Today, we're going to talk about man, and we're going to spend two weeks on man, Lord willing, this week and next week, understanding a Christian view of man. If you want to understand people and make sense of people in this crazy world, and you may think, oh, nobody can make sense of people. Yes, you can. If you know what God's word says, they will always act very, very consistently with what the Scripture says. So we've got our frame for our puzzle, the pieces with the straight edge, and then we're going to fill in the other pieces as we go along. And the first piece, or the second piece of my puzzle, I guess, is this one of man. What does the Bible say about man? Do you want to have a worldview of man? Well, we want to. But we began last week with the first piece, and that is God. The first piece of the puzzle is God, and we need to go back and visit something from last week. I said to you, the universe began with, not with a bang, as the world tells us, it began with God. That's a simple statement, but I want you to not ever forget it, so I repeat it. The universe didn't begin with a bang. It began with God. There wasn't anything to bang, but there was only God. It began with God. And there are two things I want you to know to give you a correct and biblical and theological concept of God. There are the two simplest things I can tell you about God to understanding without going into all of his attributes are these. One, God is infinite. You know the word infinite means without limits. If something is infinite, it has no limits. We think of a number line. It has no end and no beginning on it. You can go into infinity. We say, we use that word in that way in our math class. So God is an infinite God. No limits to him. And so I especially think about his power when I think of creation. God has infinite power. He can do anything that he wants to do. We say he's omnipotent. Now, if he has infinite, unlimited power, he can create out of nothing. Does that make sense? He can create out of nothing. No one else can create out of nothing. Nothing always produces nothing, except when you put God in it. And God is can create from nothing. He has all power. But he not only has all power, there's something else I want you to know about God. He has all knowledge. There's nothing that God does not know. Jesus reminded us of that. He said, God even knows the number of hairs on every person's head. There's nothing that God does not know. We call that omniscience. He has all knowledge He has all wisdom, and he has all power. He's infinite. There's no limit to his knowledge and his power. The second thing, though, that I want you to know about God is that he is a person. He is personal. The God of the Bible is a personal God. He's more than a force of nature. He is personal. What do I mean by that? Well, he doesn't have a body as we have a body. He does have a form, but I won't go into that today. But he's, he has all the qualities of personhood. What do I mean by that? Well, a person, first of all, is characterized by the fact that we can think. We have a mind. We have intelligence. We can reason. And certainly God thinks he has all knowledge and all wisdom. Secondly, a person feels we have emotions. I'm really describing our soul, part of us. Our mind, our emotions, we have feelings we love. And we get angry. And we regret things. All of those are emotions and there's a thousand more, of course. God has emotion. And so God loves the world. God hates sin. God is angry and evil, God is compassionate toward those in need. He cares about people. So God is a personal God. He thinks, he feels, he does something else. He acts. And whatever he thinks and determines to do and makes a choice, he acts on it. We call that will. We will to do something. We make up our mind, we make a choice. And then God has the power and the knowledge and wisdom, of course, to carry it out. And he always has a purpose in everything that he does. God does nothing that he doesn't have a purpose behind it. And so the Bible begins with these simple words from last week. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, the first verse of the Bible. I said, then if you can believe the first verse of the Bible, you can believe the rest of it. If you can get by Genesis 1-1, you won't have any trouble with anything else that's going to happen throughout all of the Bible, throughout Christianity. And so God created with his infinite, unlimited power and his infinite, unlimited wisdom. And being a person who thinks and who feels and who acts, God created the heaven and the earth, the universe, and he created it with a design in mind. He had a purpose for it. Stop. Stop. He has a purpose for you, too. There are no empty molecules bumping around in the universe. God has a purpose for every atom that he ever created, so I believe. Now, we live in a world where we're inundated with evolution. We talked about a little bit last week. I'm not a scientist. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm sort of an amateur theologian. And so I'm, I don't know the scientific world, but I, but I can reason. And the, th- the reason I'm not an evolutionist, as I was taught in college, is that the evolutionist tells me that out of nothing, something came. Out of nothing. We don't, we, here's the, here is this expanse. There's only God. There's not another atom or molecule or piece of matter or energy. Nowhere, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then God, in his wisdom, thinks and plans and wills and decides and acts. And he creates the universe. Now, the evolutionist tells me that the universe, first of all, came out of nothing. That nothing produced nothing. And then the evolutionist tells me that after nothing became something, it designed itself. That's another big leap. And then out of that something that it designed, it formed a solar system out there in space somewhere. And then one of those planets became Earth. This molten stuff cooled down and now we have planet Earth. And then one day there's... Water and elements accumulated and formed this green scum somewhere. And in this green scum, there was some little single molecule that formed and life sprang in that one molecule. And from that, then it replicated itself. And now, down through the centuries of billions and billions of years, we have everything we have now. And all, of course, without a design, without an intelligence, without anybody directing the process, all of it based on random selection. That's why you can say it takes more faith to believe that than it does the Bible account. Let me illustrate it for you. So I went to the Smithsonian, uh, the Smithsonian Museum years ago, and, and I saw a wonderful illustration, my point they had a display there and it called the evolution or development of the automobile, the car. And it started out with like a horseless carriage with somebody stuck a little gasoline engine on it. And it was such a simple little thing. You you, you look at it, it, just had a few parts and then it developed down through the years. And now today we have a Lamborghini, a half-million-dollar sports car over here. The development of the automobile, this is the evolutionary process, so they say. Huh? No. That isn't evolution. That's not evolution. Evolution is descent with change and random selection. Somebody built all those cars. Here's evolution in the car business. The car comes about by itself one day. And nobody designed the car. It just happened. All the molecules lined up. And the car develops and it grows and evolves. And one day it sprouts wings and flies off into the sun full of a hundred people. Turns into something else. See, that's what evolution teaches. You start out over here with a horseless carriage and you end up with a 747 full of people because you completely change the species over there. The missing links come together. No designer, no plan, no purpose at all. And uh, that's what evolution teaches. Listen, evolution is not science. It's science fiction. They just leave one word off of it when they talk about it. It's science fiction. Cars don't become airplanes And tadpoles don't become people. And they especially don't do it if somebody's not behind it and driving the process. And the Bible just says, God created a heaven and an earth for us. Now, the very special creation, the one that he waited until the sixth day to create, and it's the most special of all, and it's the one he put over all the rest of his creation, is he created man. And we read about it. Chapter 2 and verse 7 there, God created man's body from the dust of the earth, the Bible says, meaning he used the common elements that you'd find over here in our science lab at Florence Christian School. He took carbon, he took hydrogen, he took oxygen, and some other elements, and he put them together, and he created a man. He fashioned the body of Adam out of the dust of the earth. Out of the common elements of the earth, and that's why the psalmist can say in Psalm one hundred and thirty-nine, "We are fearfully and wonderfully made." Think about that phrase. We're fearfully and we're wonderfully made by the hand of God Himself. The body of a human being, the human body is a wonderful thing. The human body contains enough carbon to make nine hundred lead pencils. Did you know that? Interesting fact. The human body contains enough iron to produce one ten-penny nail. The human body contains enough salt to fill a small salt shaker. It contains enough sulfur to rid a medium-sized dog of fleas. It has enough lime in it to whitewash a small shed and enough potassium to tip one box of ordinary kitchen matches. Isn't that interesting? And God takes all those elements and he puts them together and he makes a man. He makes a woman, a human. Now we go further though, look back in Genesis 1 and 26. He not only created the body, but he created man in his own image and after his likeness. And so man is absolutely unique and special and different. From any other part of creation, no other animal or plant, no other matter or energy is like man. Man is special because he's made in God's image. He looks like God. Well, I just told you a few moments ago, God doesn't have a body exactly like ours. So what I mean is that he created us in God's spiritual image, in his form psychologically and mentally and spiritually. And do you know that man is the only creature on the earth that walks with an erect posture that stands up his entire lifetime? Now, I saw a lizard the other night on the Discovery Channel run but on his back legs, but he only did it for about from here to the banister over there. And so he doesn't live standing up like we do, but man does. You'll see an ape or a monkey run on his back legs for a short distance, but he doesn't live on his two back legs. Man has an erect image or an an erect posture. Man also has countenance different than any other being. Now, I know you think your dog looks sad sometimes or a monkey looks like he's laughing and all that, but it's a very limited range at best. But man's facial countenance... God's image is even reflected in that because we telegraph our emotions and our expressions. We can speak and never say a word with a smile or with a gesture. You see, man has a countenance and it reflects intelligence and emotion. Man has a brain and a tongue designed for articulate speech. And probably the least articulate person uses about 5000 words a day and the most articulate people would have 50000 words or more in their vocabulary so you see no other uh, they say that the dolphins have some language or that the elephants talk and and but but it's such a primitive it's 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 grunts and little noises and and so on but 50,000 words in the vocabulary? No. Just man. He is special. He is unique in every sense. The hand is unique. What What other animal would say to his mate, hand me the hammer. Well, I think I need the pliers too. And the hammer and the pliers become an extension of my hand and I can do things with that that I can't. And so every invention, every instrument, every gauge that we have. Do you, did you ever see an animal say, I think I'll take that stick and make me something here that'll help? No. But you do that because you can imagine and you can envision and you can see something that doesn't even exist. This morning, I looked at a little alarm clock that we have and it's supposed to set automatically with the uh, time signal that comes out of Colorado and said, turn the clock to the Northwest and it will set itself. And I looked down in there and it hadn't set itself. Thank God I wasn't dependent on that clock today. (laughs) And we have a lot of members that have a clock like that today. It looks to me like looking out here, but at any rate, and so, you know what? I couldn't get the battery out of it. I thought the battery's dead. And so do you know what I did? I took a nail file and I, that's a pretty simple act. And I pried the battery out, right? With the end of the nail file out of my clock. You, you get the picture? Y'all with me or you sleep? You missed an hour last night. I understand. So, but come on, come on, come on with me. You're here. Might as well make it work. I took the nail file and I took the battery out. You think any monkey on earth can ever do that? You think a whale or a porpoise can do that? No. The simplest act that we have of imagining a need for something, using a third thing to do that something with, makes man absolutely unique. The vision, the imagination, to see things that don't even exist and put them together, that is a unique human quality. And no evolutionist can explain the gap between that and every other living being. And then in Genesis 2 and 7, notice the words there. God breathed into him the breath of life. The breath of life. And man became a living soul. And so we are made again in the image of God. God has a mind to think and I have a mind to think and you do. And God has emotions which he expresses and so do you and I. And God has a will to act and so do you and I. And God has a heart in which he feels and is moved with compassion or mercy or kindness. And so do you and I. We are made in God's image. We're self-aware. God is self-aware. He knows he's God and he knows I'm man. I know I'm man. I know he's God. I know who I am and I can distinguish it from anyone and anything else. Somebody said, I know I'm a man, but a pig doesn't know that. And if you ever see a pig, if a pig ever says, I'm a pig, he's not a pig any longer. <laughs> because a pig doesn't have self awareness, he doesn't stand around the hog pen and say, I'm a pig and there comes a man. And so self-awareness and conscience that makes us spiritually sensitive, that gives us this innate sense of right and wrong. It helps us read people. And so you say something, you didn't mean to say it like you said it. And it hurts the feelings of your wife or your husband or your child. And you immediately sense it because their countenance tells you, oh, that hurt them. And immediately you understand, hey, I, didn't, I shouldn't have done that. You're spiritually sensitive. You didn't learn that through your five senses of taste, touch, smell, and so on. You learned that through a spiritual sensitivity that you saw their reaction. Bishop Sheen said this, he said, Christ came to the earth and took on the form of a man and thereby he dignified our existence, lifting humanity up to a different plane than it had ever been lifted up to. And human nature was dignified by our Lord. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great quote? that because Jesus Christ chose to become a man, not a tree, not a mountain, not some animal, he chose to become a man. Back when God formed man, he formed man knowing that his son would someday come and be a man. And thereby, he dignified the human race by associating with it. Now, having said that about God creating and man being created by God, I want to give you five or four quick applications right now. Follow with me if you're writing them down. Number one, God gave man dominion over the entire earth. He gave man dominion. It's called the dominion mandate. We refer to it. God said you will have dominion over everything in the universe. In Psalm Eight, where we read there about God creating man he, it says he crowned him with glory and with honor meaning in position God put man just below the angels when he created him so here's God let's build a little hierarchy here here's God at the top here are the angels and then here is man and then here's all the other orders of life on this planet animals animals plant life, and so on, everything that has life. Man is crowned with glory and with honor and in position. He's just below the angels. That's what Psalm says there. Now, because of that, think of the potential and the greatness of, of, of humanity. And, and we Christians sometimes, I think, we talk a lot about man's failures and man's sin. But we ought to stop sometimes and celebrate the greatness of God, what God did when he created a human being. We ought to give God the glory for the greatness of humanity itself. You see, nothing else has made the achievements. And these evolutionists did It just frankly boils my blood when they talk about these animals and they're just about where we are. Baloney. You take all the animal kingdom and give them a trillion years and they're not going to put a man on the moon. They're not going to do brain surgery. They're not going to do the most common things that we do. Don't buy the devil's lie. God created man and gave him dominion over the universe amazing creativity that we have just the simplest little things to pick up a fork and put your food on it and in your mouth distinguishes you when's the last time you saw a chimp eating with a spoon you're not going to nobility of character the firemen rushing up the steps of the World Trade Center trying to save the lives of people risking their own life Nobility of character. Where else do you see that in any of life? Superior intelligence. Spiritual sensitivity. I'm talking about the man that God created back there when he formed man from the elements of the the earth. And other worldviews, they either underestimate man. Evolution just puts us at the top of the food chain. Hinduism just puts us at the top of the food chain. Or the new age makes gods out of us on the other extreme. Other worldviews don't have the proper view of God because they don't base it on scripture. And so they either elevate man to some sort of God with a little G status or they make him a machine who, is a, uh, who simply operates off of his preconditioning determinism, or they make him into some sort of an animal, the top animal in the food chain. And none of those are correct views. What is man, the psalmist said? Man is what the Bible says man is. Created out of the dust of the earth, a wonderful, wonderfully and fearfully made body, with great achievement, amazing creativity, unlimited potential, nobility of character, superior intelligence, spiritual sensitivity, and an eon away from any other living creature that God made. He gave him dominion over all. The second thing God did was He made him the steward of the earth. He made him the steward of the earth. God is the owner. He created it. It Belongs to him. If you make it, it's yours. God created and the earth belongs to him, but he put us over it. We're his steward. We're to take care of it. Now, Al Gore's daughter was in town this week talking about global climate change. And uh, there's a lot of interest in environmentalism today. There's some really out there, wacky ideas about the environment and so on that we have that I don't have time to get into. I do want to say this. If you understand your Bible, you are interested in protecting the environment. You're not going to pollute the rivers and leave your trash lying around. This is God's world, and we're to care for that world. God put the man in the garden to care for it and address it. We're not going to waste its resources as Christians. We're going to look at it differently. We're we're going to conserve everything we can. Christians are interested in conservation of the resources of the world. On the other hand, we don't buy into the pantheism. We're not big on Earth Day. We're not interested in saving the planet. That wasn't our job. It's to take care of the planet until the Lord comes back. Never to be wasteful stewards of his resources, but but being good stewards. That's all that God ever asks us. Most of the earth is renewable. And if we will just simply let the laws of God and nature work and not interfere with it, then we've done our job as stewards. The third thing that I draw from what I've told you about creation today is that human life is sacred. Human life is sacred, and it really is sacred. It's sacred in the womb before the baby's born. It's sacred when the person born is severely handicapped and deformed. And this little deformed baby, for reasons I cannot explain, but his or her life is precious to God as well it's precious when people are old and so the Christian automatically out of the gate opposes euthanasia we say there's no place to even think about that from natural birth to natural death Because life, all life is sacred. The unborn, the elderly, the helpless, the deformed, the poor, the rich, every color. If it is human, it is sacred because God made it in his image. And so I get a real... Nasty letter one time years ago from having preached this on television and somebody says, you're inconsistent, you're a hypocrite because you preach pro-life for the babies but then you believe in the death penalty. So you're inconsistent. If life is sacred, then it's all sacred, so you said. No, I'm not inconsistent, I'm biblical. The Bible teaches the death penalty, and the Bible teaches the sacredness of life. By the way, you know why the death penalty was instituted? If you understand your Bible, you do that. The death penalty was instituted because God said, I made man in my image. And when you murder somebody, you smash the image of God. And it's the worst crime anybody can ever Commit, and God is the one who said, "Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed." I didn't say that. Let me tell you something. People come here, and sometimes they 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 think I'm preaching politically. You may think this is a political statement I'm making. I haven't said a word that has anything to do with donkeys or elephants or anything else, political. This is not a political statement. This is a theological statement. What I'm saying is based on the word of God, and I'm constantly taking you back to it. And pardon me, but if people are so ignorant that they think what we're talking about right now is politics, they don't know the word of God. The Bible says human life is sacred, The Bible deals with these issues of abortion, euthanasia, current uh, issues, environmentalism. All these things on the front page of your paper on a daily and weekly basis. And yet the Bible has spoken to them. That's where we get our worldview. And lastly, the immortality of man's soul. The Bible teaches the immortality of the soul, that once you're alive, you will live forever. Immortal, mortal means death, mortality, death. Immortal, without death, no death. And once born, you will never cease to exist in your spirit and soul. Your body may but the rest of you will not. Now, the difference in eternal and immortal is this. It's an important distinction. God is eternal. There was no beginning and there will be no ending. Man, I am not eternal. I had a beginning, but there never will be a time when I will not be. I'm immortal. Only God is eternal. He's eternal and immortal. Write these references down. I'll read them real quickly because there are many today who do not believe in immortality. Daniel 12 and 2. Some shall awake to everlasting contempt and some to everlasting life. And that word everlasting is a word that has the idea of duration without end. Duration without end. You'll never cease to exist. Second reference, John eleven twenty six, 26, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Never die. That's immortality, is it not? And then I go to 1 Corinthians 15, 53, and he actually uses the word. This mortal, this dying body, shall put on immortality immortality and not die. Verse 54, for when this mortal shall put on immortality, pictures it like putting on your suit coat. When this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. In 2 Timothy 1 and 10, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So when you receive the gospel, when you receive Christ and you're saved, the Bible teaches the immortality of our soul to be with him with eternal life. Boy, when you put all that together about man, he has dominion over the universe. He's steward of the earth. He or she is... Sacred, their life is absolutely sacred in the eyes of God, and the soul will live forever. You see, Christianity elevates humanity more than anything that 's ever happened. Talk about women 's rights or civil rights or whatever rights you want to talk about. Christianity has done more to elevate humanity than any other theory or Philosophy or practice in all of history. All of that's positive today. There's one negative reality. Something about man is broken, and really broken. And it's dark, and it's disturbing, and it's sinister. And it's capable of evil beyond anything else on the planet. Think of ISIS, North Korea, all the problems in our world today. All the wonderful things that God has taught us about man, but he's broken. Come back next week. We'll talk about him being broken. But will you bow your head as you sit right there this morning?